0: Sequelcast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman on film.com. Hello, and welcome to Sierra Quest 2 Adventure Games Human. It's an exploration of Sierra's graphic adventure games, from uh, all the way from Mystery House to Gabriel Knight. Three, Blood of the Sacred, Blood of the Damned. I met Bradley Shirky with me as Thresher. Hiss! Yes, um, if only Tim Curry could have voiced that snake like he did in the Adam and Eve uh, cartoon, one of his if, first, first uh, voiceover gigs.
1: If anyone could have voiced characters in this game, but sadly the technology had not yet been developed.
0: I don't even think there's, di- there might be one or two lines of dialogue, I mean, anyway, yeah. Wizard and the Princess, this was also designed by Roberta Williams, the wife of Ken Williams, who programmed this. Mystery House was was such a huge hit that, um, you know, they had to do another one. These both came out in 1980, the same year. They had a good workflow. I assume they were using the same engine and everything. They had a different um, artist, I, I believe. I don't think Roberta Williams drew this. And...
1: Well, the graphics are slightly more refined, but it still has that same look of like hand drawn line art that was scanned using the best equipment available at the time and then. Yeah. Colored in different ways, and this there are several different releases of this uh game, uh, for several different systems, all with somewhat uh different graphics, such as classic dithering graphics like we saw in Mystery House, but also Mm -hmm. up to uh, there was I believe there was like a a Macintosh and international PC release that had something akin to full color, and
0: that the Apple II version was able to use dithering to make it seem like you could do more than six colors simultaneously. This is a colorful game, uh, albeit somewhat limited, but for the time, you know, compared to Mystery House, which was just white lines and a black background, this, you know, has color. I don't know if that helps the game. I kind of prefer the black and white look for whatever reason. I, I think that...
1: Well, you know, compare comparing this to Mystery House, so uh, Graphic Adventure 2... Ah, uh, Wizard and the Princess, sometimes the Wizard uh, and the Princess. yeah, uh, and looking looking at I'm looking at the game's original manual, the logo of the original manual, the A in Wizard, is capitalized for some reason. but um the this is not a step forward for Sierra, but it is a step outward uh, for Sierra,
0: yeah. if if Mystery House showed that Roberta Williams was a fan, Of Agatha Christie and mysteries this one shows that she likes traditional uh, European fairy tales and though that will bleed into later the the King's Quest series which is the really the flagship Sierra series but we're not quite there yet Um, but you kind of see the inklings of what King's Quest would become and indeed um, the place this takes place in Serenia, I believe, is the setting of, like, King's Quest V or something.
1: Yeah, there are, there are some people who consider this the unofficial beginning of King's Quest. And I, th- and I did try to do some yeah. research into that. I could not find any consensus from the people who actually worked with Sierra, including Ken and Roberta Williams, as for whether or not this was considered part of King's Quest or not.
0: They did include it on some uh, compilations. Um, In fact, a really cool compilation they did is the Roberta Williams anthology that had a bunch of these old apple things we've been talking about. Hold on, my cat's trying to knock down my door. Um, (laughs) Talk about the, the cover art.
1: Okay, well, there there's several different examples of cover art because there were so many different uh, releases. Um, but uh, looking at the game's original manual, uh, which I was able to find online, the, the cover art is uh, this princess reclining in despair in the floor of what's presumably a very high tower. There's a wizard uh, with a bird on his shoulder, which and, and this almost bird-shaped medallion, which, interestingly enough, are clues that to what's to something that's in the game's content. There's a handful of things in the game that are that are explained in the manual, but not the game itself. Uh, one of them I- involving your final confrontation of the wizard, which is foreshadowed by this cover. Um, and it all has a very sort of early TSR David A Trampier Dungeons and Dragons illustration quality to it. There's a there's also a lot of color to it. There's a neat green halo uh, around the wizard's hand. Uh, then there was a later cover, which. Uh, has kind of that Boris Vallejo, Julie Bell, airbrushed look, where it's a threatening mm. wizard waving a staff with a bird flying over him. There's a, a, a tied-up princess who's just aghast at her circumstance. There's this creepy castle in the background. That looks much more like what you would see uh, on a uh, standard... Ad, uh, what would become standard adventure games at the time. But, Matt, something you pointed out, and I think I think this is true, on the original cover... The wizard with his with his beard and the uh, I'll just say prom, prominent nose, unfortunately resembles an anti Semitic stereotype.
0: Yeah, it it could just be a coincidence, um, but it, it, something that did come to mind looking at this uh, this morning during during research for the show.
1: It, yeah, um, as the later cover, the wizard's just in green robes. and just look at your standard gray wavy hair wizard. if he d- if he didn't have a scowl on his face, he'd look like Gandalf.
0: yeah, right. I think it's the scowl, the the nose, the just, just something about it doesn't quite feel uh, makes me a bit uneasy. gives me that vibe, but um, but I didn't draw the thing. I mean, so, but it it is is it is worth noting. so uh. Thanks for agreeing with me on that. Um, so, I mean, the plot, much like Mystery House, it's not a heavy plot game, right? You pretty much get it from the the manual.
1: Well, I mean, it, it is only in the manual because when, yeah. when you begin, you're just in the middle of the street in the town of Serenia, and it wants you to leave that as quickly as possible because you cannot interact with the town in any way. You can't enter the buildings. If you look, If, if you just look around using the look command, there's nothing of interest here. Which so there's, and so like the whole setup for the game is on the last page of the four page manual where it just talks about how you're a wanderer, you wander into town, and the town crier is saying that King George's daughter, Priscilla, has been kidnapped and is offering half the kingdom to whoever can rescue her from the dread wizard Harlan. Um, And in addition to that, this introduction also tells you exactly what items are in your starting inventory, which, okay, I didn't read the manual until after I had played the game because that's just kind of the person I am, and I forgot that in games of this era, you really had to read the manual first. So I had no idea that to see what equipment I had, I had to just type inventory or look inventory. Um, So I had no idea I had starting gear Uh, until it came up in a walkthrough that I found, because I kept like, look, look, items, look, pocket. Why doesn't this work? This is a really finicky text parser in this game, although the manual does a very good job of explaining what its capabilities are.
0: The text parser was, you know, um, felt like just as bad in Mystery House, but the difference being in Mystery House, it was set in the real world, right? I think the stuff you had to do Was pretty in in this because it's like fantasy and there's magic spells and stuff. There's much more opportunities for players to to get stuck. This game is a lot more obtuse.
1: Oh, and, and so speaking of the magic, there are several times when you are given magic words, which if you type into the test parser, has a magical effect. The f- only the first one of these words are you specifically told by the character who gives it to you. In this case, the Snake King. This is a magic word. You may find it helpful. The rest you just have you just have to guess. But there's no indication really what the magic word does. In hindsight, it makes sense, but not necessarily when you receive it. Um, also, I really did some digging there's a magic word that you're just expected to know no one gives it to you it is not set up in the manual it is not set up in the game but there is a magic there is a there is a magic word you that if you don't use you will not get out of the first third of this game which one is that a hocus do you remember this one
0: i do So, you
1: know, Hocus from Hocus Pocus, the classic magic word, about the end of the first third of the game, there's a chasm that you need to cross. There's Ah, no way to cross it. You know where you cross it? You type in Hocus, that magic word summons a bridge. That word is not mentioned before, it is not mentioned since. And I did do some experimenting with the test parser, and one Mm. of the things I did is I typed in some of the magic words on the opening screen. Hiss, the magic word I mentioned at the beginning, which turns you into a snake, that does work on the opening screen. Hocus does not work anywhere other than the chasm.
0: Good find, yeah. And you're so not even I mean,
1: told, like, the magic word doesn't work here. It just says, I don't know that command.
0: <laughs> yeah. So one thing about this game, uh, something I, I've really thought about a lot is I've, you know, I started game design in college. I, I've dabbled in indie gaming over the years, uh, game development. And bigger isn't always better. I think is the takeaway from Wizard and the Princess. Mystery House was a very compact game, yet had its problems. uh, But you could, I found it pretty enjoyable. This game, it's a much bigger world. I don't want to call it an open world game, but like you go in the desert, you shrink to the side, you turn into a snake and go through a tiny cave uh, opening in the side of the cliff. Um, You know, you're going in all these expand. You interact with the magic lion. You do these expansive things, but there's like so many. Fucking mazes everywhere, and you're, it's like guess what the developer is smoking kind of puzzles. That I don't know how the hell people beat this stuff without a walkthrough. Do you think they did this on purpose so they could sell hint books?
1: Uh, well, I guess not because I couldn't find any hint book. There's just mm. like they they talk about how you can ask your favorite the clerk at your favorite game shop for a hint, which makes me wonder: <laughs> did they provide shops with walkthroughs? That would be an interesting <laughs> promotional thing for That's both the game and the shop. Question. But but also, there's, you know, the old Sierra helpline, which the manual even specifies, call us during reasonable West Coast business hours. Because I believe that was just their home office number.
0: Oh, God. I Yeah, I think I, I read an article on um, the Digital Antiquarian, and they were mentioning that uh, they would get phone calls like at 3 in the morning, like people would call, like, what do I got to do? I can't kill the snake. Um, I, I would even argue the beginning of this game there's some RPG elements with the combat, because you have snakes
1: everywhere. Well, actually, so, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So, yeah, the beginning, you leave the town of, uh, of Serenia, and you're just wandering through the desert, and I, and sometimes you encounter snakes, and all but one rock has a scorpion behind it, which will sting you if you grab the rock. Stupid. And and something I found out about the snakes the snakes are true random encounters. There is a percentage okay. chance any given section of the desert will or will not have a snake. The only snake you're guaranteed to meet is the snake king whose tail is stuck under a rock who you can't kill or who you shouldn't kill. And if you free the snake king, he gives you the magic word hiss that lets you transform into a snake. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, and it, and it, and it makes me realize I think there are some classic adventure games that could benefit from random encounters... Uh, except that these snakes, like until you get the rock or the stick, those snakes are just going to kill you. And if you linger in a section for too long without entering a command, or enter too many commands that don't work, the snake will just kill you. So it's it's very lethal.
0: And this is kind of a, a precursor to what you see in um, the early King's Quest games, where you walk into a room and you hear the music, right, and the witch comes out, and you got to move into the next screen to make her disappear where the giant the troll is coming at you 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 have elements of this with the arcade action as they called it in, in king's quest but here it's i mean that rock puzzle that you pointed out what a dick puzzle
1: Yeah, the rock that there's the one rock you can pick up is only available on one space. Once you throw it to kill a snake, you can't throw it again. You got to hope you can find the stick, which you can reuse shortly after. Oh, and beyond that, with the desert, the desert is your first maze. There is only one specific sequence that guides you through the desert. Uh, and I did verify this because uh, after my initial playthrough, I went back to the beginning, and I added up the total number of south, north, east, however moves. Oh, really? And I just yeah. decided to, and instead of entering them in the se- in the sequence that was in the walkthrough, I just went, okay, well, can I just go all the souths in one go, and then all the easts in one go? Will that move me to the same position? No, it will not. You will get you will get dead ended about halfway through that sequence if you deviate from it. So
0: it doesn't loop on itself like in King's Quest when you get to the top of the screen and you go to the bottom?
1: No, it does no, not loop. No. Uh, any, se- any sequence other than the proper sequence will inevitably lead you to a dead end.
0: That makes it even more maddening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: And I think uh, they expect that because yeah. there's even a note in uh, in the uh, manual about how, you know, you're meant to experiment and you're meant to sort of fail. Uh, they do introduce a save feature in this, which, thank God, but computer technology being what it is, how to properly use the save feature is rather <laughs> complicated and involves swapping disks between multiple drives mm-hmm. and disengaging other drives, lest you accidentally reformat and overwrite your hard drive. <laughs>
0: Or maybe the game disc itself. I mean, a lot of computers oh, yeah. didn't have hard drives back then, so you just were had to take out the disc and flip it, put it back in.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's so so. But I'm glad I'm glad I was so I was so worried that we would be like five games in before the save feature was implemented. I am so thrilled that The Wizard and the Princess has a save feature.
0: Yeah, it, it especially with how frustrating the mazes get and how how you can get yourself screwed. Easy.
1: Oh. And we gotta talk talk about movement in this game. Mm. So 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 murder house, you know, if you wanted to go somewhere, you would like type north, go north, walk north, go up, that kind of thing. Um those commands don't work in Wizard and the Princess. The most effective way to walk around is to just put in like S, N, E, or W and hit enter. Yep. If you type walk north or go north, it does not understand that command. <laughs>
0: Which is baffling. That seems to be one of the most simple things to do. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think the they were very ambitious. Uh, Roberto Williams was very ambitious with this game. Because this is a much longer game to uh, to beat um, than Mystery House. I mean, it's not long by today's standards, but...
1: Well, I'm, look- I'm looking through it. It looks like it has uh, a, a more than double the total number of commands you have to enter to uh, reach the end of the game.
0: Yeah, and a lot of different locations. Because Mystery House, you had the house, you had the woods, and you had the tree treehouse, uh, and kind of the the subterranean basement cave thing. That was about it. And this, you know, you have the islands. You you go into a castle at the end. Uh, the desert. the
1: castle has a maze in it.
0: Of course, who, who wouldn't build a castle and not fill it with mazes? Um, so it it truly really is one of these these things uh, with um. So I mean, fairy tale tropes is something Roberta Williams loves, and because they're. Partially, I think, because they're public domain. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's something that people recognize, and uh, it's, uh, you know, you can put Rumpelstiltskin in something, you know what that is. And this has a uh, a dwarf in there, and you, and you uh, see dwarves. Gnomes. No, excuse me. And you see gnomes in and, and other games.
1: Although, funnily place. enough, the manual does make reference to using a bow to attack dwarves, But it also says there's no telling what you might encounter. That is that is a misdirect. That is a deception. There's no bow in this game, and there are no dwarves in this game.
0: Maybe there is a cut sequence.
1: (laughs) Oh yes, but uh, do do go on.
0: So with the uh, the gnome, he actually looks like a gnome. I think that's one of the better pieces of artwork in the game. Looks kind of like Santa Claus. Looks a bit like David the gnome.
1: Yeah, we got the beard, the pointy hat. He's got everything
0: is that everything and yet unfortunately you can't interact with them too much you can't talk to them. you can't have these rich conversations that would kind of be a mainstay of later games and I, something that, that struck me with this and it was with mystery house as well something i love about the adventure game genre is you play as a character and you have all these other characters you can talk with and do puzzles with it's like you have a lot of uh friends or whatever to talk to and this kind of like kind of like mist you're kind of all alone right Wandering in this land, yeah. And it just feels kind of clinical. And this game came out like in nineteen eighty, eighty-one, whatever, right? Like that's kind of how these games were done back then. But to have these things like lions and uh,
1: giants lions, and stuff, snakes, the village, the village woman,
0: the village woman, of course, right? Um, and they're just kind of things you give items to to make them go away. But it makes it feel kind of empty. I don't say well, this often but you could remake this game and make something really interesting with it
1: well I, I I I apparently there was a there was a Japanese remake of this game that was like done I think in the 90s I was not able to dig up much concrete information about it hopefully I will and I'll be able to talk about it more yeah. in a future episode yeah. but yeah you could take all these elements and do it with more updated graphic adventure game technology and I think it would work really well. Uh, but th- but three things I do like about the NPCs. I do like that the village woman, you do talk to her, and she just warns you. You don't have any real dialogue. Instead, the dialogue is described to you. It's like The village woman says that there's a giant in the hills. You better be careful. Um, although I could not find out if you had to get that information from her to deal with the giant or not. Um, the uh, There's, of course, like the various animals you give food to. Which, for some reason, for the lion, it's bread and not meat, which is very yeah. counterintuitive. Um, nothing would indicate that the lion prefers bread. Or maybe he's just that hungry. Um, the other thing, I, uh, other thing I like, the gnome, the gnome, if you interact with him, will steal your stuff. He will also steal your stuff if you don't act interact with him at all. Once you leave his space, the gnome has stolen some of your stuff, and you have to eventually get it back. Um Then the third, and this is a staple of adventure games and uh, RPGs, computer RPGs, and console RPGs to this point, there's a shop in this game. Now, you only have one gold coin, you can only make one purchase, but there is a shop with, like, four or five items for sale, and you need to make wise purchasing decisions when you encounter it. That seems so ahead of its time.
0: Yeah, and that's something you would see in everything from Oh, how like Wizardry, uh, Bard's Tale, some of those really old RPGs that would come out years after this. Um, I mean, Dungeons & Dragons was out by 1980,
1: was it not? Oh, yeah, it came the out. The original
0: in version? In 74, okay, right. So, I mean, I don't know if Robert Williams played that, but it's quite possible.
1: Maybe. Uh, oh, so something else I like. So with the exception of the snakes, all the other sort of traditional fantasy monsters you interact with you don't interact with violently. Uh, so, you know, the in the case of the lion, you feed it bread, which it wolfs down and uh, and goes away. Uh, you give a cracker to the bird. It gives you a potion. Uh, when you are faced with the giant in the hills, you don't a- attack the giant. You play the harp for the giant, and the giant takes the harp and wanders away listening to delightful music. I love that that's how you get past those threats. Like, yeah. the only monster that's really, like, a dick is the gnome. And uh, you get your stuff back uh, just because it's bad at picking out hiding places.
0: Sure. I mean, like you said, with the giant and the harp, that's a Jack and the Beanstalk reference. I, I think you you come into this game and you're supposed to know these fairy tales. Or, or like, the you get the parrot, you have to feed him a cracker, Polly wants a cracker kind of thing. Well,
1: because you find a cracker in a cactus like you do... <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, but can you imagine playing this game uh, from another country, and, and you're from like another country or something, and not getting some of these cultural references? And it's like, how am I supposed to know what? Like, it would be even more confusing.
1: Well, you know, I wonder. I wonder if it really would, because so much of this game is so abstract. Mm. And, and like I said, like a lot of the solutions only make sense in hindsight. Like the harp and the giant, because nothing indicates the giant's a music number, a uh, music lover. Uh, or the bread, or the bread and the lion, or you know, the the only one that I think is a specific cultural reference is the cracker and the parrot.
0: The bread and the lion could that be a reference to bread and circuses?
1: Maybe, yeah, that's but again, it's very tiers. abstract.
0: Yeah, uh, I I like that you have puzzles where you kind of change into different animals, or like you drink a, a potion and you fly. Uh, that that magic in the story is something you'll see later in the King's Quest games and it's uh it's very whimsical to uh to get from place to place
1: that's true i like i like all the different transformations
0: even the transformation is in King's Quest 5 right but you have all the you're battling the wizard at the end, and keep on transforming.
1: I believe so, and that actually, Thanks. and that is how you defeat the wizard in this game, because you use yeah. the horn to lower the drawbridge of the castle, which kind of makes sense. That's you would you would signal a castle like that on the approach, because mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever dealt with a drawbridge. Real drawbridges take quite some time to lower and raise, so you want to give the castle advanced warning. But you get through the uh, complicated maze in the castle, and there's a tower you can go up. And this is infuriating. There's a tower you can go up. Nobody's in the tower. So you have to go down. Then you got to go back up. And when you enter the tower a second time, there's a bird in in it. Again, this is not foreshadowed unless you look at the clues on the box art. But that wizard, that Hmm. the bird is the wizard transformed. So you rub the gem on your magic ring. And you transform into a cat, pounce on the bird, and eat it. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, later, as you go back into the castle, do another maze. You find a frog, which you kiss, turns into a princess. So that's another fairy tale connection. Uh, Then you find a closet. In the closet are shoes with whoosh written on the bottom. You put the shoes on, say the magic word whoosh, spelled with two O's. And the shoes let you and the princess fly back to Serenia, where you are greeted as as a hero. And you get half the kingdom.
0: I like that you end on the screen that you begin at. That that is a
1: nice full circle thing. I just wish, I wish something was different. I wish there were people celebrating. I wish there were banners held high. I wish there was a happy King. Uh, Like the the town (laughs) really really does just seem like a ghost town and, you know, surrounded by desert. So there's no agriculture going on.
0: It looks like a wild West town, which is very odd with all the fantasy stuff going on. I thought I, I would see a cowboy or something on a horse.
1: I think it's the cactuses that do that.
0: Yeah, that's true. It doesn't help. Um, uh, it kind of like scattered all around you see things like lockets and treasure chests and they have little random notes
1: which you can't read right like you have to read to progress through the game but when you say when you type in read note it just says this note is covered in strange writing that that almost feels you know what that feels like that feels like you were supposed to get information from the note and that was just filler text for playtesting purposes but then Mm -hmm. they had to meet a tight release date and never went in and put in the text. Because I feel like maybe that's where you're supposed to get hints about the magic words.
0: You think they're just trolling the player?
1: I don't think they're that... Well, even at their worst, I don't think Sierra was ever intentionally trolling players. I just think they listen to their worst puzzle design instincts on occasion.
0: right, um... I mean, yeah, I, I'm looking at this uh, fact here on GameFAQs. There's, like, dozens and dozens and dozens of rooms in this game compared to maybe the three dozen rooms in uh, Mystery House. I mean, this is oh, you know, yeah. several times the size of, of Mystery House. Uh, that is a fantasy setting that they didn't just do, like, Mystery House 2 is interesting.
1: Yeah, br- branch, branching out like this was definitely the right call. Like I said, it's not a step up, it's a step outward in every sense of the word.
0: And, um... On the you have the manual in front of you, right? It looks like the price was
1: thirty two ninety five. Uh, I am. Let me see. On the cover, yes. Good. The the suggested retail retail price is thirty two ninety five in nineteen eighties money,
0: which would be over a hundred bucks.
1: Really? Uh, Did you find in, a converter in
0: today's money? Uh, I, I I can. Yeah, let me let me do that. Uh, convert eighty. One dollar in 1980 is equivalent to about three thirteen.
1: Wow! Okay. Yeah. Well, and I
0: mean, computers were much more expensive back then.
1: Well, we've been through like what four recessions since this game came out, so I guess that makes a kind of sense.
0: At least maybe soon to be a fifth. I don't know. Yeah, it's really.
1: 100%. Oh, it also contains 100% machine language.
0: Assembly, yeah. So making it that makes the game run faster, um, among other things. And it sold over sixty thousand copies. I mean, this was a big success, once again. Um for Sierra. And that have you ever you mentioned uh Scott Adams before, the adventure game designer.
1: I think uh, I know we've talked about him. I don't think we've mentioned him on this podcast. Oh, you don't think you mentioned him. Um have you ever played any of his
0: any of his games?
1: I am. Not, I feel like I have to have, but yeah. I'm not sure I could name any of them.
0: Because he started in 1979, and um, when you when you play these things, they're quite. The puzzles are very obtuse too, and and like one is just called Pirate Adventure. Like the names are quite simple. Um, but the one, the game of his that I played to go on a little tangent here was Quest Probe Number Two Spider Man. Hmm. He had the license to Marvel and only made three games with it, um, and I—it was the first time I ever saw a text adventure. It was on, at a friend's house in Argentina on his computer, and he—we were just screwing with the parser. We typed in "commit suicide" for whatever reason. And it was pretty dark as a second grader, I guess. And it says, "I don't know how to commit something. What does suicide mean?"
1: Oh wow!
0: What's the parser's response? I'm like, that's—that's that's a pretty advanced response. I wasn't expecting that.
1: Oh, so I did. I did some quick, some quick math. Uh, so based on the game's sales by 1982. Now, this is by 1982. There were sales after this and further ports, but I'm just going to use that as shorthand for the initial release in 1980s money. So triple this for modern money. That is 823,750 dollars that they uh, that Ken and Roberta Williams took in from this game.
0: Hmm, almost a cool million.
1: Well, I'm I'm sure with the with the re-releases and the ports, it 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 broke a million.
0: Yeah, I mean, so that you you have a second game, and it it does extremely well is uh, is always a cool thing. And to see what happens with uh, all those games is is really neat to see to see the progression. I mean, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this to show with you is We all love this genre, and the Sierra games in particular, although they have their well, anything has its faults, but they were, you know, you could die in them, right? That was something that made it different from LucasArts games. And to see kind of the germ of what would become King's Quest in Wizard and the Princess was pretty good. Although I uh, I think it's the worst game than Mystery House. I would recommend you play Mystery House over this one.
1: Well, it's the it's the mazes and all the trial mm-hmm. and error required. The one thing suggested in the manual, which I kind of want to try, is it suggested playing the game in a room full of people and, like, brainstorming to find solutions. That might make for a real fun party game, just socializing, casually drinking, and uh, beverage of your choice, alcoholic or otherwise, and just, like, as a group trying to navigate this game.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we did that in one of my game design courses in college, I think, with Zork.
1: Oh, nice!
0: And that one, you know, just pure text, no graphics. Uh, it's legendary. And playing it um, with the group, you get a lot more creative ideas. You're less likely to get stuck. You have kind of the interaction element with it that uh, that makes it fun. So, Wizard and the Princess. This this is not my favorite game by uh, by a long stretch. Like you can see the fairy tale elements. I mean, not only did Roberta Williams do King's Quest, but she also did uh, mixed up Mother Goose, mixed up fairy tales. So this was very much her the fantasy. is was very much her, her bailiwick. And even with the murder mystery stuff of Mystery House, um, you know, she would come to that kind of Agatha Christie vibe later with the two Laura Bow games.
1: Yeah, this this is... Overall, it is a more immersive experience. I like the the differing environments. I like that the environments are inhabited by characters you can interact with uh, in different ways. I love that most, uh, that with the exception of the state, the snakes, and the wizard, you overcome you overcome all challenges with cleverness and nonviolence. And even then, cat versus bird—that's a clever solution. Although. How how you would know that the ring lets you transform into a cat, and how you would know that wizard is the bird? Who knows? Um, so I I can say I can respect this game, though I didn't have a great time playing it. Also, speaking of not having a great time playing it, um, I had a lot of trouble emulating this game uh, on my oh, yeah? desktop uh, to the to the point where where most of the time it would lock up sometime after escaping the desert. To the mm. point where to get through the final, the end of the game, I could not play it myself. I found a walkthrough. I thought I found a playthrough uh, by Jerry Martin. He's got a YouTube stream, uh, Jerry Martin Gaming. He played one mm-hmm. of the later ports that had uh, more advanced color graphics. Although, because they're more advanced, they take even longer to render on the screen. Oh, boy. And so he had to jigger with his emulation speed to kind of get around that. But it was generally, it was generally, uh, it was generally informative. He didn't talk over the game too much. He just made it clear what he was doing and had a little comment on every interaction. So, if you don't want to go through the hassle of playing this yourself and following the walkthrough, I would recommend Jerry Martin Gaming on YouTube. Look for his Wizard and the Princess C sixty four full playthrough and walkthrough.
0: So, do you think that? watching a, a let's play of an adventure game which is really puzzle focused and uh, you know narrative focused do you think that replaces the experience of actual playing the game
1: it doesn't replace it it is a different experience i mean that no. that being like i think it, it's best when the games are played across the board but that being said if you do not if you're having problems with emulation for a really no, old exactly. game like i was right. Or, or if you just don't have the patience, or you just like having something interesting on in the background, uh, they they can be quite uh, they they can be exactly what you need. Uh, I I have only watched a handful of full game playthroughs. <laughs> And my favorites are the ones that are a mix of riffing, and I mean real riffing, not just overreacting to what's going on on the screen, but really commenting on it and finding humorous insight. But that are also informative and can talk about the history of the game, what's going on in it. Uh, previously Recorded is no longer making new episodes, but they did uh, playthroughs, uh, two-player playthroughs of uh, the first three Space Quest games. And those those are really good because they spend a lot of time trying to decipher the uh, trying to decipher the uh, science fiction references that are in those games and kind of reminiscing about that source material. Uh, and uh, they're not shy about going to a walkthrough when they need to. They'll try a puzzle two or three times, and if they don't get it, they'll just go straight through a walkthrough and to a walkthrough, and they won't make a big deal about it. The co-player always has the walkthrough ready if they need it.
0: That's nice. That saves time. That makes it a more uh, smooth experience, both the player and, and the watcher. Um, you know, we
1: might want to consider as a bonus episode... I know we're two episodes in, three episodes if you count our preview, but maybe we should consider doing our own, like, playthrough commentary on a game <laughs> as a bonus.
0: You do a playthrough commentary. You could do a... Hmm. I guess you could do a Twitch stream where one person is playing and both people are riffing.
1: Mm, absolutely.
0: And, Because uh, it to fuck with the audio settings, but <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, so ne- next time we'll be talking, Oh, I guess we should do our, what you playing segment. Oh Just yeah. Gonna, but, uh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> what you playing Thrasher?
1: All right. So, um, uh, my wife and I treated ourselves to uh, Animal Crossing: New Horizons, and that's what I've been playing the most of. Uh, trying to, generally speaking, I'm able to check in with my my village uh, my village daily. This is this is just a real pleasant cup of lightly sugared, lightly creamed tea of a game. You it's only have just... one switch. Uh, yeah. We only have one switch, so we're sharing a village, and we we uh, go back and forth. I usually play in the mornings. She usually plays in the evenings. Although <laughs> we reverse that on the weekends, just because I, I usually have something I need to take care of um, on uh, on weekday on weekend mornings. But yeah, and it's it's just it, like the stakes aren't high. There's no there's not much you really need to master. It's just a nice, pleasant game, and I like I like the feeling of being. Being in kind of a pleasant community, growing your own food, uh, decorating your house—there's just something very, very comforting about that. And and this is that 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 comfort is very, very well executed. Except when you're attacked by wasps, uh, then you're in a lot of pain. Uh, that's very nerve wracking. <laughs> wasps and tarantulas—those are the only two real threats <laughs> in the game.
0: Yeah, Nana picked this up recently, and she she's really. Uh, likes it and getting into it and it's something simple enough to play that you can play it while watching tv and um you know it, it's more than a phone game but it does have you do it a lot of sort of repetitive actions i've, I've been really impressed on uh, twitter i've been seeing people throw out images of i guess later you get maybe like an easel or something but people are using it to make really interesting artwork
1: yeah you can create like create artwork, you can also make your own custom texture maps in the game which can be exported to other people's games.
0: One of which in, uh, in Portland, Oregon, in, uh, over here where I live, um, the airport had famously ugly carpet and then they decided <laughs> to replace it with other ugly carpet. so they, they made quite a bit of money selling squares of the old carpet. People made both versions of the carpet in Animal
1: Crossing as a texture. So I, I have to wonder why is there so much ugly carpet in the world? is is it just cheap is that the only reason because some ugly carpet is so noisy it can't possibly be cheap to produce it's so over designed and so full of different pigments
0: it's it's a choice it's an aesthetic i would That's say you'd an want that <laughs> yeah i sure uh i you know i'm asthmatic i, I meant, are you asthmatic i'm not sure uh but, uh, uh no i am not no asthmatic. you're not okay But um, so I I really don't like carpet. I I would rip it all up if I could. Um, Not to mention, if animals have accidents on that, you know, it becomes harder thing to clean. Uh, But anyhow, talking about dog piss, uh, what I have been playing is Final Fantasy VII Remake on on PlayStation Four. I'm not that far into it. It's good. The battle system is really different. It's a good compromise between Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy 15, So it's more action-y. Although you can go into the menu to cast a spell or do a, 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 what do you call it, a a move with your, like a a special move with your sword or whatever, and hot swap between the characters. Um, One thing I will say that I, I don't think is a spoiler, and I think Square Enix has been misleading with its marketing, is... It's not the whole game.
1: I heard they changed the ending, but they, there's actually excised content.
0: It it ends. It, that could be called a spoiler of where it ends. I, I just know it already from reviews. But they did um, change quite a bit in it and give it a bit more personalities, which I think you would you'd have to. Like I'm fine with that. If you're going to remake a game and do it blow for blow, why remake it that way? Um, but improving in some way with the, with the dialogue, with the character interactions. But there's quite a bit of the game left to go, and they haven't said how many parts it's going to be. But it's not called Final Fantasy VII Remake Part One. It's just called Final Fantasy VII Remake, and the cover looks like a you know updated high def version of the cover of the original PlayStation game. Hmm. But the, the gameplay length, if you do everything, I think it's uh, look I looked at how long to and it's like between 30 to 50 hours, which you know is a good. Length and as I get older, I prefer things that are shorter and shorter because I have less time. Um, because I'm doing a lot more of my writing now, which is fun. But uh, so I, I, like, I, I, I like it. I think if you've played this without playing Final Fantasy VII, the original, you'll be a bit confused because they make a lot of references and, and things. Um, and the music, there's so much music in this, the soundtrack is seven CDs long. <laughs> and and the way it like fades in and fades out and weaves in, into each other is is a bit like how uh LucasArts did with the old X-Wing games where the music might be peaceful and then there's a tie fighter and then it progresses into like the imperial march or something it's uh it's it, it's really well done i would i I'd recommend it with just a, a caveat of it's an action rpg it's not pure turn based so know that going into it and uh you should probably play final fantasy VII to get the most out of playing this one um so I I do wonder when they're going to come out with the other parts because this took them a long time to develop this game. And we're at the end of one console cycle and the beginning of another uh, this holiday season, end of 2020.
1: Do you think they're going to release that as a whole separate game or as content you have to pay to download or as part of a free patch?
0: They're not going to do it as a free patch. They're going to release it like Probably. as a bunch of sequels. They're going to yep. as standalone games. That, I mean, of course, you could purchase physically or digitally, uh, but yeah, they're gonna whether they do like five different games priced at $60 each, I have no idea, or three, or, or whatever it is. But like, they don't even get past the first CD of the game, I'll, I'll tell you that much. Mm. From what I've read, so caveat and poor, let the buyer beware. I just I don't think that's much of a spoiler, but um, I would just want to warn people because some guy I worked with were chatting about the game and uh. I, I I told him that just because he was like, oh, it's the whole game. And I'm like, well, actually, it's not. And he's like, what? <laughs> like, so there you go. Um, and then something I, I doubt, I just bought it, but I haven't had time to play it yet, but it's gotten good reviews. It's Streets of Rage 4. Hmm. supposed to be a good evolving of the <laughs> beat-em-up genre. Anything else you've been playing lately? I'm sorry, what was that?
1: The, you broke oh, up. Oh,
0: it's a good uh, kind of... Evolution of the beat 'em up genre, like Final Fight and the old Streets of Rage. Nice. Have you been playing any other games lately, or is that about it? <clears throat> not,
1: um, not console games. Uh, be, to, to sort of to sort of keep my own creative juices flowing, but also to uh, to help keep uh, people's spirits up and engage with a few friends. I've been running a lot of tabletop RPGs through Roll Twenty, which is a uh, website that hmm. has. You know, it'll that, it'll handle mapping and dice rolling for you. It has text uh, and and document sharing, and so that's it's 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 the tabletop experience, but ported into a digital format.
0: Does it do webcam stuff too? Or
1: yes, yes, it does.
0: Oh, and and it works pretty well.
1: Uh, Over overall, uh, there is a free version and a pay version. I've been using the free version. Uh, a lot of people have been telling me if I'm going to pay for something like that, I should just buy the uh, tabletop simulator app. Uh, mm-hmm. the only downside yeah. is everyone involved in the game has to pay for it. Uh, I believe with roll 20, if one person's using the paid option, other people who are using the free option can still jump in on the game and enjoy some of those features. Uh, although I haven't tested this, so, so don't quote me on that. Um, but over, I mean, overall, it's 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 been enjoyable. The tools have been useful. Uh, usually, uh, I tend to run two to three hour sessions, and usually, everyone needs to reconnect to the server at least once because they start developing some sort of audio glitching. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure what causes that. I'm not sure if it's the, if it's the system, the servers, or just our own internet connections. Um, but that's like that's the one recurring glitch is we usually have to reconnect about halfway through because our voices start to get distorted
0: i would guess all of the above um we're recording this in the middle of the uh covid19 epidemic and uh is epidemic the right word i think it is but uh, uh
1: epidemic or pandemic i'm not pandemic. sure of the technical differences between those mm-hmm. those words but i've heard them both used interchangeably
0: and um you know so so people uh, working from home and and whatever it the internet is being hit harder harder than ever before, mm. and there's not always the best infrastructure for it. Uh, and also with long calls, whether it's your your D sessions through the D20 program or um, these things we record with the podcast, right? It can there'll be delay after a while for whatever reason. It just kind of craps out. And you got to restart it to get all the gremlins out of the works. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know, although I've been, I've been. Uh, strangely enough, I have not run any D anD. i I've run several sessions of Star Wars, uh, Wrath and Glory, uh, Iron Kingdoms, uh, a game mm-hmm. that I've been developing on my own called The Amazing Adventures of Paragon, which I hope to have published. Uh, hopefully, oh. maybe even before the end of the year, if I really start, uh, if I if I really start uh, working on it harder. Um, oh, and actually, speaking of which, I, I realized this episode will probably be out long after but i'm doing a special session of star wars for may the fourth uh
0: yes this will be out after but that's cool and um yeah we'll have to isn't um disney plus finishing the clone wars on may the fourth
1: yeah i think i yeah i think that's when the last episode of this season is coming out now they say it's the final season but it's already had no. two previous final seasons, so I am sure at some point it it will be coming back.
0: It might be as a standalone movie or something wrapping things up, or maybe it'll be something bridging the gap between that and Rebels.
1: Uh... Possibly. Well, you know, I think they already are, because uh, sec- yeah. the second second to last episode, there is a droid introduced that I'm pretty sure is Chopper, back when Chopper was a new model.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, it, ha- it it uses the same voice and it has like the same number of eyes and the same clamps that come out of its head, but its head is a different shape, and it doesn't have any carbon scoring. So I, I I feel like that's a that's a little Easter egg that that's supposed to be Chopper, and then oh hey now we can say Chopper knows Ahsoka Tano, and there's persistent rumors that Ahsoka Tano will be appearing on season two of The Mandalorian. Yeah. That would be awesome, but I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs>
0: Uh, and I've I've heard it's Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. That there's a risk with Star Wars getting a bit too cute, cramming all these characters in. And,
1: and yet, I feel like this this season of the Clone Wars has avoided it. And this has been a real grim, heartbreaking season,
0: as it should be with its place in the uh, in the story. I think.
1: Yeah, I, I was actually shocked to find out that the second half of this season runs parallel with Revenge of the Sith. Yep, shocked, but a pleasant kind of shock. They're they're really taking advantage of that.
0: Great. So uh, next time on Zero Quest, two adventure game as human, we are going to look at high rise adventure number zero, mission asteroid.
1: Nice.
0: It's a sci-fi setting, again, designed by Roberta Williams, programmed by Ken Williams, and came out in 1980 on the Apple II, so the same year originally as a, the past two games we've talked about. Uh, this makes and me Williams so
1: happy, sells. because science fiction is my first love. So I'm, I'm so thrilled that three episodes in, we're going to get to do a science fiction game.
0: I've thought long and hard about that, if I prefer science fiction or fantasy. um. And I'm really not sure. That's a hard, hmm. I might prefer fantasy, I guess, but certain, but I do like robots.
1: Well, thankfully you don't have to pick just one. I know, I know. But then, I guess, if I think someone put the... a
0: gun to my head and said, what are you going to do? Like, I don't know, what book are you going to buy? I might pick something with a, a dragon on it instead of something with a rocket ship.
1: That's a weird crime that you would think happens all the time for the number of times people bring it up. The the, right. the the gun-to-the-head genre choice. <laughs> I think I think the real challenge for us is, is our constant references to LucasArts' The Dig going to be a burden or an enhancement to the episode? Because I'm sure those comparisons are going to get made.
0: Just looking at the box art, this is very pleasing. You have an astronaut with a looks like a lens flare. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. With Earth in the background looking out from the point of view of a cave. It's... Uh... I mean, that, that, that's really 1980s-looking artwork, for lack of a better term. Well, it looks,
1: it looks like the cover for, like, a Ben Bova paperback. It's a
0: yeah. Cover. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a sucker for these, like, painted, uh, sometimes airbrushed. Uh, this one doesn't look airbrushed, but a lot of the stuff was at the time, or maybe probably later on in the 90s. But the, the hand-done uh, paintings that they made for, for boxes is uh, pretty cool. I'm still kicking myself for not picking up a, a discounted signed copy of a hardcover book collecting all the artwork for the Atari uh, game covers.
1: Oh, that's a beautiful book. I've seen it yeah,
0: in a while. Yeah, I saw it in the wild too. They had early copies of it at uh, Portland Retro Gaming Expo, and I neglected to uh, pick up a copy. But Yeah, next time we'll be talking about Mission Asteroid. Um, you know, this is my first time through most of these games. I think Mystery House I have played through before, but there are a whopping uh, seven high-res adventures. Including this, so we're almost halfway through the initial group of adventure games.
1: It's uh, this. This has been a great experience so far. I can't wait to go further.
0: Yes, we'll see if um, Mission Asteroid is uh, more more cohesive. Or so we'll it have more or... mazes than ever because this, this was meant to to be an introductory game sold at a cheaper price.
1: So I would hope it would be more streamlined, but you never know.
0: What does Roberta Williams think more streamlined means? We'll find out <laughs> next time. Um, so, for Sierra request, this is Matt.
1: And this is Thrasher. Same. Look, it's the sailor's best friend, the parrot. Polly, want a walkthrough? Quark, quark. Who, who? I'm the only bird in this franchise. What I want
0: is... <laughs> Sierra to as DLC for these old games, pay John Reese Davies to just narrate everything.
1: Oh, that would be gorgeous. You
0: cannot go north. I mean, I don't know how you would figure out all the different
1: like Well, I mean there can't be that much possible text and then No,
0: I don't I don't think so. But it's like you cannot I, I... go north. The gnome has stolen from that sounds like Christopher Lee.
1: Well, I think that's the other thing you'd have to do yeah. is for like any like of those I don't know blank command, just replace all Improper commands with just a generic "I can't do that."
0: I was replaying the original uh, Gabriel Knight, which we'll talk about way, way in the future on the show.
1: Oh, indeed.
0: Uh, And do you remember the narrator in that game?
1: It's been so long. No, I don't.
0: Uh, It's a, it's a, I believe the right term is a Creole, heavily Creole accented, and and she speaks kind of slow. Yeah, because the character's
1: supposed to have a Creole accent, isn't he?
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it's actually Creole, I don't really think it is. But I mean, the narrator, it sounds it's an older woman. Uh, It sounds authentic to me, but I don't know what authentic sounds like, to be perfectly honest. So that means nothing. But um, but she speaks kind of slow. And uh, because Jane Jensen loves to write, has these very meaty uh, narrations. So it's kind of excruciating uh, when you click on things and Gabriel looks at the bookshelf and there are a lot of bookshelves on there.
1: He's Russian now? <laughs> oh, I, I
0: can't do that accent. But it's oh, this okay. like really slow drawn with a lot of pauses.
1: Gabriel uh, takes a look at the bookshelf. Yeah, there yeah. a lot of books on there.
0: That's, of course, I mean, John Rhys-Davies was a good narrator in for going Ford. Oh, yeah. But the best was the late Gary Owens in Space Quest. Roger has to do that. What a pant load.
1: I can't wait till we get Space Quest.
0: Oh, yes. All right. Well, very good. Um, So we'll be doing Mission Asteroid uh, next time. uh, Fare thee well, adventure fans.